welcome to the Common Thread Collective here, MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco. I'm Global Val, sitting here with Diamond Dave. Hi, Diamond Dave. Hey, Val. You know, uh, I know you've been uh, following the news, as I have, mm. and we're about to reach the politicals. The, the political storm is happening, just about happening. We're in for some amazing times. Indeed, I, th- I agree. Now, we're the first time in the history, what, one, two, three, four members of Congress have resigned because of, uh, because of what? Because of... Uh, Accusations of sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. And then this is, uh, that was such a, uh, the, the most he can do is apologize, it seems. And apologize good, hasn't been gooding up. And, you know, my, uh, my take on it, and that's just the political side, the three members of Congress. Plus we have some, uh, some bad people are high, high in the show business, high in other places. What are some of the people? Let's say the Prairie Home Companion. Who's that? Garrison Keeler. Oh, I so love this dude. He's been cut out and cut out and humiliated. Garrison Keeler and others too. Who's the guy who's getting twenty million dollars? A um, but anyway, it's happening. Well, it's, it's like a rain of people being exposed, coming up, having to having to having to be caught with their ho ho metaphorical pants down. Yeah, and I saw the little clip from Saturday Night Live, which has been relentlessly, you know, mocking uh, Trump and the administration. And uh, they did a they did like a Christmas Scrooge, you know, like the ghost of Christmas past kind oh, really? of thing for for him in the Oval Office. And um, and then uh, the ghost of Christmas present for him was saying, "If you still worked for NBC, you'd be fired." Oh my goodness! <laughs> Going down that chimney. So it shows the you know, how how protected that office is. Oh my is, goodness! Right? And when I see it, because I want to get on that. So that so, Bell, what I propose is that we begin to put a certain that every week we give at least some time to looking at what's happening. We got we got Elizabeth Warren. We got Bernie getting older. We have locally where we have with the board of supervisors. We have a lot to look at, and then we try to keep. Uh, this will give us us a chance you you to uh, to uh, keep our minds, to get our sharpen our minds, and to continue uh, uh, and to continue this because it's going to be amazing. And I think I often say that we're a voice of this change. So let's go down to the, let's get down to some of the details as they emerge. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's do it. Now I got with it our top. Should we should, uh, we should we play Ubi and yeah, then we'll yeah, come back with yeah. the with our first Perfect. guest? I was about to say just that. Uh, our first guest is uh, is our Persico, and uh, he's with the with the Progressive Democrats, and we'll be we'll you'll be kicking it off. All right, take it away, take it away, Ubi, and we got up there. We got uh, blood flowers.
That's right, Ubi lets us know every week it's going to be all right, because you're listening to the Common Thread Collective. And before we have a little live music, we have an announcement. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, yes, so we're organizing a benefit show next, next Thursday, the 14th, at Aereo, from 9 p.m. to midnight. It's a fundraiser for educators for fair consideration, which is an organization that supports and empowers um, undocumented students. They support them in getting an education and in pursuing their careers and building a brighter future for themselves and their communities. Uh, the benefit show will be live music, poetry and storytelling. Live music with uh, the band Achayu, they are psychedelic cumbia, Sol of the Andes. I did say that. <laughs> I'll be there. The whole thing is a good, a, a, a good message, a good cause, and psychedelic cumbia. Yes, away. more cumbia with Clarion Ali Band, which, which is another band, a local band from the Mission, Cumbian Rumba, and then poetry with two local poets, Norman Celaya. Norman, uh, born and raised in San Francisco, he's pretty famous. Yeah, the Mission. And uh, Re- René Vaz, who's another Bay Area writer. He's the curator of a um, reading series, Both in Tinta and Uptown Fridays. And he's actually reading tomorrow at the Paseo Artístico, the neighborhood celebration all along the 24th Street. He's wow. He'll be at Galleria de la Raza. There's a poetry reading from uh, 3 to 5. 
And then we have two guest speakers, Mishin Aharonian Markham, who's an award-winning uh, novelist and a professor of creating writing. She's also the founder and co-director of a new American story project, which is a collaboration of artists. It's a digital and public art storytelling project that is documenting the stories of Central American unaccompanied minors in Oakland. And she will be joined by Sarah Campos, who is an attorney specializing in immigration and asylum. Uh, she's the former director of the asylum program at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights of the San Francisco Bay Area. She's also a writer and a poet, and she's uh, the co-director of the New American Story Project. So I think she will be reading some of her poetry, and uh, along with me, she's going to talk about their project. Wow, sounds amazing and beautiful. Tell me the day again. December 14th, next Thursday. Okay, Perfect. it's 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. And what's what's the venue? Where is it? El Rio, El Rio. on Mission Street, and it's sliding scale, $7 El to $20. Rio. El Rio. On El Rio. I've been at many events there. Seven it's a great place. It yes, is a great place. Inside, outside. they got an outside patio, which is so cool. Haven't you been there? Yeah, I've been there. I'm sure you must have. Well, that <laughs> sounds so wonderful. And this is about the Dream Act, uh, the Dreamers, students, the Dreamers. And yes. I guess all, all is what I say, take on the walls, mm -hmm. open the doors, get rid of the borders, too. Families, yes. bands, tribes, communities, I believe in that. But borders just align on their map. And so there we are, and this is to back that up. And I want you to say, we're on every Friday, 3 to 6. I'll be there. I want to see Norman again. I first met Norman. I was doing open mic, you know, you know how many different open mics in different places. Yeah. But this goes way back to a cafe in Valencia when Valencia was still Valencia. And they asked me to do an open mic there. And who came? And he said, saw about it. And he was 15 years old. And this is the first, his first open mic. The first time he'd ever spoken out in public. That was Norman Zelaya. Now he's a teacher. Now he's on the side. was at least 10, 15 years ago. So I can't wait to see Norman. Oh, what fun that's going to be. That's I can't very cool. Well, how important that is. How much I love it. So I want you to, I'm going to come, that's next uh, Thursday? Yes. Next Thursday. I've, I'm, I'm putting it out on my mental calendar. I'm going to come, and I want to invite some, a bunch of those folks, including you. I love you, sister, you know. <laughs> I love you too. We have these, uh, these connections that we made over the years. Like us at City College, and where she, it was a, me as a lifelong learner. And she quotes me right there saying, Jesus, and I said, wow, it's out there now. Jesus was no son of God. He was a great teacher who taught us to love one another. Didn't I say that? You did. And then she put that in, and then no one's ever quoted me saying that. And that's considered to be, wow, and that's definitely what I believe. Who taught us to love one another. And that was an article, but anyway, so hey, I love you too, and please consider yourself connected with us here. We have this show, you know, as you know, we can come in any Friday from 3 to 6 and let the world know. Thank we you. got over 10,000 downloads in the month of October. People are, you know, goddess knows how many are, uh, how many are uh, listening live. Hey, listening live listeners, uh, glad you're there around the planet on the internet. 
Yeah, and we'll be sure to put this up on our uh, Facebook page as well for Common Thread Collective. So I'll, I'll be posting this you know, either tonight or tomorrow uh, to let people know to go on out and go to El Rio on Thursday the oh, 14th, yeah, 9 o'clock. It starts Educators for Fair Consideration is the event. Very cool. And what's your name? Yes. Cindy. 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 Welcome, yeah. welcome back. Diana. And my Diana. co-organizer. Beautiful. Diana. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for coming. All right. Good choice. Here we go. Now, let me ask you again. uh, Hey, do you have anything you'd like to add as the organizer? Did we cover it in a good way? Perfect. And good, there we go. And do we have blood flower up there? Yeah, I believe so. Blood flower, come up and play. Little little live music. And then we'll be back in just a couple minutes with Art Persico. But we're going to have a little live music to start us off here. With the ma- is that a mandolin blood flower? It is a mandolin. All right. Thank you, everybody.
Thank you. Thank you. Some rocking mandolin. I like that effect at the end. Thanks, Bloodflower. See you folks, you can come down and play music with us and read poetry and announce your events and talk about politics, which is we're getting into next. Our, our guest here is Art Persico, who's come in to join us from the Progressive Democrats of America, San Francisco chapter, to talk to us about some events coming up. And, uh, and Dave, I know, to start expanding on this conversation Expanded. of where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? What's the role of the uh, PDA? That's, a, that's the Progressive Democrats of America, POA. Now, uh, Art. Art Pisco. Now, I know your roots is in the union movement. Is that right, the Teamsters? Yeah. The Teamsters, and we talked about the, that movement called the Democratic Teamsters. Hey, Val, the Teamsters had been for years and years. I named Dave Beck, and uh, and who is the, the other who, is, who mysteriously were killed and his body is buried somewhere? Jimmy Hoffa Sr. And Jimmy Hoffman Sr. Jimmy Hoffa. Because the Senior. Junior is there now. Right. But what oh. happened is the, the Junior... Dave Beck was a Republican. Dave Beck talked about professional, about, about, uh, about he was a business using union man. He was a Republican, and, and he was proud to say he voted for Nixon, worked for Nixon. The Teamsters of Dave Beck gave a lot of money to, ten, to, the, to the Republicans in the Nixon campaign. Today, if Dave Beck was still alive, he'd probably be all for Trump. But times were changing. And the steelworkers, and the... Uh, in the steel workers, in the and and in the um, in the Teamsters, Dem- uh, coming out of the rank and file movements were up in, were, were were growing and changed things and seized the union, and so the pretty uh, the Teamsters, for instance, is quite different for today. You're a Teamster, is that right? I'm a retired Teamster. Retired Teamster, so you can the, the your retired Teamsters. And they managed to get you get what a retired teamster would, would need, enough money to live on, which will get, which which is called social security. It's called a pension, enough money to live on, which gives you a chance to do to uh, be uh, to exercise some politics. Am I right so far? Yeah. But just as she's able to do her organizing, that's what I believe in. That's what we can do. And uh, and you're connected. Uh, I talked to Tom Gallagher. Tom Gallagher, who's uh, uh, who sent me a text about the meeting of the of the, of the Progressive Democrats of Associate of, Amer- of America, San Francisco chapter. Tom Gallagher was on this show when he uh, uh, had written a book about what he'd like to see uh, elections beginning, particularly the electoral the electoral college. And so connected, he couldn't come today, but here you're here, Art. So tell us a bit about the uh, about the uh, because uh, the PDA. Okay. Uh, well, Tom is the head of our San Francisco chapter. PDA is a national organization. It came out of the uh, Dennis Kucinich presidential campaign okay. in 2004. And uh, locally, our chapter came together in 2010 uh, with a kickoff invited by Norman Solomon. Uh, we follow issues on the national PAC, but uh, we get involved in state and local issues as well. So the main structure of our group is to put on monthly forums and do monthly letter drops to our members of Congress and our U.S. Senators about what we're concerned about each month with the national legislation. And uh, we also have our next uh, 
monthly forum is actually this December 14th, the same night as the uh, event that was just announced. But it doesn't over, it doesn't overlap. It, ours is from 6:30 till 9, and it's going to be a winter holiday party. Usually we have, we have, we're very serious, but we're calling this one serious fun because we're combining seriousness with a, a holiday party. We're going to have uh, Tommy Avicoli Mecca. He's been in here a number of times. Housing activist extraordinaire. He'll be speaking and singing because he's at least a double threat to yeah. do that. He's excellent. He and his, uh, his crew are excellent musicians. And his music, just as Phil Cambios, sings of what's happening in the Mission District, what's happening in the world. Tommy Mecca and his crew does the same. Yeah. And then Carol Denny, a Berkeley singer-songwriter, oh, she's going to be Carol. there as well. So we have a really good lineup. Wow. And, uh, that's, it's going to be a party, though, so that's why we're calling it Serious Fun. We'll also have some animated political cartoons, some anime, some political still cartoons projected. We'll have food and drink, and everybody is welcome. It's this week, actually this coming Thursday, um, December 14th, from 6.30 till 9 at the Unitarian Center, which is at Franklin and Geary. Um, and it'll be in the Martin Luther King Jr. room. I know it. I was at the Unitarian Center for uh, They Do It Christmas. I mean, Thanksgiving. I think I do it over Christmas, too. But on Thanksgiving, that's where I had my Thanksgiving. It's called Tenderloin Tessie. And it's so many, everybody's people are not used to it. We're not used to it at all. Get served. Uh, it's an amazing uh, operation where, where they have the people who have different jobs, the bread person, the solid person, and so on. And they're able to feed a lot of people there with Unitarians. I grew up in the bosom of the Unitarians. So I know in Minneapolis in the 50s. So uh, that's a really good place for progressive Democrats to meet. And I'm sure the progressive Democrats, being what they are, there'll be a lot of, there'll be room for a lot of discussion of people talking about things which work also... We're also we're also embracing called where we go from here. Yeah, we're we're inviting people to come with ideas about an assessment of uh, this past year politically and what their hopes and dreams are for 2018. Because uh, I think we have a huge opportunity to turn this country around. We do. In 2018, I think there's a big wave. You can you know in the ocean it's rolling out, it's rolling out, and I can think it's building power and energy, and it's going to roll in in 2018 because yeah. the yeah. reaction to the current things that are really not right Trump. people sense that yeah. the, and they're i hear women are running for office in women. unprecedented numbers yes yeah. there's a the the new um because it'll be the one year anniversary of the women's march mm. and uh the the notice that i got about it said um uh you know we marched and now we run fantastic wow. and that, remember how i don't know about you but how good i felt from before that march to to after it, it was a huge contrast in my mood. I yeah. was so elated that day, feeling the power of the ability to challenge what was wrong, and the women's march did it. And people came out, and uh, the streets, I'm talking about Market Street, from sidewalk to sidewalk, was packed all the way from, uh, all the way from uh, City Hall to, uh, to, the, uh, to the ferry building. And it wasn't just here; it was all over the country. And it was all yeah. over the hear, country. We yeah. could hear small and see towns, big cities. Washington D.C. was spectacular. Oh yeah, you remember those speeches? Oh, I oh. I woke up that morning and I knew I was coming 
I was going to come downtown here in San Francisco to be part of it here. I turned on Democracy Now! And I, I just sat there and watched these speeches. And it wasn't even like all the famous people yet. You know, it was just people who had come in from different organizations. And I was just sitting there kind of crying, you know, just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I, I just couldn't believe it. And um, it, it's, it's still, you know, with me. And, uh, yeah, it's really powerful stuff. <laughs> While I was there, it was, and the sleeping... Sleeping what awakes. I think what happened in the last election, the last day that we had, mostly on the East Coast, where women were getting elected, a transgender, a black transgender gender woman, a trans, transgender woman, am I saying it right, got elected mm-hmm. to city council of Minneapolis. There's been an amazing wave yeah. happening. So, uh, so the wave is happening. So we have the progressive Democrats, kind of old school. Dennis Kucinich, I worked. I did a uh, regular open mic poetry at his headquarters, which we inherited from the Gonzalez campaign. Gonzalez for mayor. Ah, uh, Matt Gonzalez. Would you ever come by there? It was in this uh, down there on uh, Mission in about 15th, a big building, just before we get to the freeway with all the people living in tents underneath. And uh, and but I got a chance to walk down my mission street with who am I walking down with? Dennis Kucinich, two little guys. I found that he and I were walking side by side. Other people were, didn't know what to do, but I took it. And we walked down. Hey, what's happening? Hey, what's happening? Walked down with Dennis. That felt so good. Talk about progressive Democrats, and he made his, and he played his role in the unrolling of all of this. Didn't yeah, he? he's so important because he encapsulates the kind of uh, progressive Democratic Party we would like to spread throughout this country. And I think if people could have the opportunity to vote for candidates who express the same policy positions and ideals as a Dennis Kucinich uh, or a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, the Democratic Party would kick butt in 2018. And we'd take back the Congress and we would begin to move away from the... uh, these despicable policies that we're being, we're feeling, and every, the world is feeling, not just the country. Right. And we yeah. need to turn that around, and I think we will, we can, and we will. Well, consider us part of it. We're not the voice of it. We consider the possibility. I like the possibility of being a, uh, a voice of it, and uh, a voice where people can come and talk freely, where we can talk about where we go from here, and how the tactics and strategy of going from here. And you're to be the progressive Democrats. Now there's a number of groups that uh, are, that have got, gotten active around uh, around Bernie. There's the Democrats. There's various groups. Uh, what the differences are and what the differences, I'm not sure. But as you probably, I noticed, and I think you do too. There's a number of groups around Bernie. Yeah. You know about that? Oh yes. What do you think uh, about that? SF Berniecrats and Democratic Socialists of America, San Francisco. Those two groups have sprung up and grown by leaps and bounds since the uh, campaign of 2016 because they are composed of young people. That's what the we young need. people who were very excited by Bernie's message and they needed a place to go and express that and work on it and build it. And those two organizations, DSASF and the SF Berniecrats, are great places for especially you know for young people and and people of all ages to go and participate and keep pushing that wave that progressive wave along with the uh, progressive democrats of america san francisco okay and and, we'll, and you're opening up to others now i would like as i say uh, with your help 
We'll invite them down. This is like a, a, a place for progressive thinking, but we're kind of but we offer the, the, these mics to everybody. And I'd like to see the Bernie, the, the, the Bernie Kratz, people to the left of the Bernie Kratz in a good way. People who are here, I mean, uh, to, to come here at the grassroots. What do people say? They say act locally and think globally. Is that right? That's right. Can I mention one more? You can, have, you can mention whatever okay. you like. Uh, if I can, I, I want to uh, ask everybody to mark their calendar for January 25th because we're going to have a forum called the Autopsy of the Democratic Party. <laughs> And it's rather a bit more severe than we really hope it is because we would like to really take over the Democratic Party, have progressives have a much larger voice in it. And, uh, but the analysis done by people like Norman Solomon will be uh, discussed there. And Norman Solomon, one of the authors of that autopsy, will be there himself as well as the head of the uh, progressive caucus of the Democratic Party, Karen Bernal. And uh, we'll have one of the uh, best talk show hosts in San Francisco, uh, Rose Aguilar, will be uh, moderating. Oh, oh wonderful. From so KALW. it should be a really good. So that's uh, Thursday, January 25th from 7 to 9 p.m. And then, of course, in December, we have that uh, serious fun party at the Unitarian Center from 6.30 until 9 Thursday no, like, the 14th. So, just, I just want to clarify. So this coming Thursday the 14th, you're going to be at the Unitarian Universalist Center uh, over here on Franklin at Geary in San Francisco. Right. And that's the 14th. And then in January, what's the... Same place. Same place. Okay, Bigger great. room because it's going to be a huge turnout. Big forum, yeah. Yeah, we expect with the, um, you know, the, the gravitas that uh, Norman Solomon and Karen Bernal and Rose Aguilar bring and possess, people will be coming to hear that and have a chance to ask questions and discuss. So it's going to be a really good way to talk about the future of the Democratic Party and how we can make it uh, the kind of fighting Democratic Party for the average guy and not for the elites. And I'd say the Democratic Party and everybody to the left of that who are not uh, to the left together. And a truly, uh, uh, Bernie's a Democratic Socialist. I'm a Democratic Socialist. And I mean that for real, not as a front group. He and I were both members of the Ypsil. About 19, must have been 1962, 63, 64. We're both old guys. Bernie'd be 75 and I'd be 80. And it was called the Ypsil. That's the Young People's Socialist League. Democratic Socialists. Although then we could play a little footsie. With the, we had the 4th International, the Trotsky youth who were members and so on. But then it began that series, and now it's serious again. We have these various groups on the far left, or well, we're really on the far left. I'm an anarchist, but these various groups are Leninist. I believe you know what I mean. Maybe you know what I mean. They believe that the vanguard to take us to the promised land, and they're going to be fully. Uh, and now the international ISO, International Socialist Organization, totally vanguardist, totally believe in a Leninist party, a vanguard party, and so they're to be. Be, be aware of, you know what, I, I don't know if you know what I mean, do you? I like a true democratic from the grassroots. Well, I'm not really that familiar with some of the groups. It's, it's before my time, Diamond. Well, how old, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm 80, but still going on. I'm only 67, just a kid. Okay, well, uh, well I'm kid. 80, so I just say to you young folks, uh, be careful. <laughs> and okay. Let's build a truly democratic, socialist, anarchist, I think we're going to come up with a new, a new way from the grassroots. Uh, people are getting together with cooperatives, collectives, whatevers, 
to get together and share the glass for us. That's why I believe that. Sounds great. Well, let's and, make it great. And yes. uh, so if people want more information about these events coming up, I see that there's an email address on here, sanfranpda at aol.com. Is there a website or a place where we people can Facebook page? We have a Facebook, Facebook page. page. Okay, so if we they look, can look up... up uh, PDASF face on Facebook, then find it. PDASF. Or uh, contact that email address. Okay. That would be to Tom Gallagher, the head of our PDASF chapter. Wonderful. Okay. And the, and this event on the on Thursday the 14th is a free event. What about that one on the 25th? Are there going to be tickets for that? No, or? it's going to be free too. I think we free might we'll probably accept donations, but. Free. Wonderful. Yeah, I believe it's free. free. Wonderful. And that's going to be where? The same place, except a bigger the, room. It's going to be in the the Thomas Starr King room of the uh, UU Center, which holds about 200 people. So it it's, does. It's, we're, gonna, we're expecting a big crowd. Yeah, that's Do you know it. who uh, Thomas Starr King was? Uh, I have a vague... He was a me. very early Unitarian minister. So early that he came uh, with like a wagon train. He read stories to San Francisco. He was always... Uh, well, he, been, he brought the Unitarian, the free thinking uh, from, from the East Coast... People like uh, Henry David Thoreau, Emerson, uh, they were uh, they were Unitarians. Uh, I believe that Emerson was a Unitarian minister as well. The great uh, the great uh, fighters against slavery, Unitarians, uh, Jefferson, Unitarians speaking of slavery, and uh, I grew up in the uh, in the bosom of the Unitarians in Minneapolis in the fifties during the McCarthy hearings, during the witch hunts and so on. It was a great place to be. So look up. Yeah, Art Art Persico, thank you so much for being oh, being on the show me. today. You're welcome anytime. We're here every Friday, except for the Friday after Christmas. And uh, we're here for the community uh, to spread the word. And I know you've got to get going. So thank you so much oh, for spending some of your afternoon with thanks us. Thanks for allowing me to be here to share the time on the radio with you. Absolutely. And you can access this show online, mutinyradio.fm. Go to the podcasts, scroll down, you find the Common Thread Collective. And today is... December 8th, 2017. So it'll be there later this evening if you wanted to spread the word. I wanted to, okay, uh, two things. One, you had mentioned off the air about, uh, we talked a bit about the millennials. Millennials, that's a generation, that was, the generation before it was called Generation X, the millennials, which are people who turned 20 after 2000, 21 after 2000, and you mentioned uh, somebody who you'd like, that like oh. you'd think I'd like to talk to. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I nominate Ben Becker of the SF, Bernie Kratz, to okay. be on the show. Will you call him? Do you sure. have his number? Call him and give him my number. Okay, I will do that. And we'll try to get him next week. Okay. Now, what about Norman Solomon? He knows me somewhat well. Oh, yeah. Well. He, he'd be, he's you, wonderful on the radio. Yeah, well, let's, uh, will you call him? Do you have his number? I think I do, yeah. Oh, get him and have him call me. Okay. Or send me the number, Norman Solomon, and we'll be doing it. And now we have... Uh, speaking speaking of calls, we have a caller on the line. We have our next guest, um, Steve Early. Steve, uh, whoa, can you hear us, Steve? I can. Hi, Valerie. And, Hello. Uh, Brother Dave. Yeah, we're we're here, and you're coming in loud and clear. And uh, I want to thank you for calling in. I know we we connected a few weeks back at the Howard Zinn Book Fair, which was held here at CCSF Mission Campus. And Dave has your book here in front of him. What's that? And it's called Refinery Town: Big Oil, Big Money, and the Remaking of an American City. And the American Steve City. Steve Early, welcome to the Common Thread Collective. Steve Early, here he is. Thanks for having me on. And well, we love it. 
Well, that's our that's our role in life. That's what what we we live to do. As as time, we just had this. Uh, uh, we just had a gentleman here from the Progressive Democrats. We were talking about what's happening, how we can get together, how we can build a movement, a movement from the bottom up. And your book, Refinery Town, a town which Standard Oil had, which had, first of all, let me tell, uh, tell the people, this, your writing story, story style is amazingly good. It's delightful, in fact. The, the, the details you brought in, the kind of humor you have occasionally have, the way you lay out, and the, the town, of course, when, of course, people don't have it here yet, it's Richmond, California, a place which you moved in, where you live, and we decided to write this book on Refinery Town. Tell us how that happened and why you did that. Well, um, I hope this connection is uh, is good enough. Uh, we're just across the bay, but uh, I moved uh, to Richmond uh, six years ago and uh, had spent about 30 years in New England uh, working full-time for the Communication Workers of America. So my background was as a labor activist. Uh, but here in Richmond, I was immediately drawn to getting more involved in a great local group called the Richmond Progressive Alliance, which brings together labor activists, community activists, uh, people involved in all kinds of causes and campaigns to try to run progressive candidates for uh, local government. And the Progressive Alliance here over the last 12 or 14 years uh, has had a really uh, very positive impact on the direction of the city. It's helped make Richmond, uh, which for more than a century was a, a Chevron, big oil-dominated uh, company town into a widely acclaimed progressive city. And the book, Refinery Town, is really the story of that transformation, how a blue-collar, majority-minority community of 110,000, uh, 80% non-white, uh, largely poor and working class, uh, was able to challenge corporate power and uh, through a grassroots movement uh, organizing around a range of issues, uh, reclaim City Hall and turn it into more of a vehicle for implementing uh, progressive municipal policies. I lived a certain time in my life back in the 70s. I lived with all my kids were small, and I lived right across uh, Cutting Boulevard from the Eastern Hill, Easter Hill uh, uh, Housing Project, right there by the corner store, which is the store for Easter Hill. Easter Hill is a large... Uh, a housing project there, am I right? Was it Easter Hill? Uh, yeah, Easter Hill is also um, uh, where one of the largest and most influential African-American uh, churches in Richmond uh, is located. Uh, and I live there, and I work with my, my, the mother of my kids. My wife is, is black, and so I've, I had the excellent opportunity as a white guy to be accepted there at Easter Hill, to have the doors open for me to talk about these politics. This is way back about 73, 74. We had a little house, maybe we should have stayed there, right across Cutting in the heart of Richmond. And Richmond at that time was really off the, uh, uh, kind of like we have uh, Berkeley, Albany, and finally Richmond. It was like finally Richmond. And of course, and where Richmond 
with what is around and what your progressive politics is about first is dealing with the refinery there, which I think you say somewhere in the book, was uh, early in the book, was the second largest refinery in the country or the world. Is that right? Yes, it's a, it's a, one of the largest uh, refineries uh, in the state, in the country, uh, and the world. And the uh, pivotal event uh, that I describe in the book is one familiar to many people in the Bay Area, because they could see it happen, uh, which was a major uh, refinery fire that occurred here at Chevron Richmond in August of uh, 2012, and it really became the focal point for stepped-up environmental justice and labor and political organizing uh, to try to get Chevron uh, to clean up its act, to conduct its oil refining activity uh, in a safer, cleaner manner, if that's possible. it led uh, the city of Richmond to sue Chevron for, for damages. It led to a five-year effort by the state to strengthen refinery safety rules that uh, were finally put into effect this year that would protect, to a greater degree, both refinery workers and refinery neighbors. And, of course, it triggered a whole debate that is still going on about air quality standards and the need for emissions curbs and uh, the need for uh, the whole energy industry, uh, Chevron included, to shift away from reliance on fossil fuels and uh, rapid development, towards rapid development of renewable energy sources. And are you are you part of the, um, I know that there's a group that has been doing refinery uh, walks. Um, it's kind of led by some local indigenous um, women who have been walking around to try to bring awareness to uh, the the presence of so many oil refineries in the area. Have you been part of that as well? Uh, yep, participated in at least one. And I think what was educational to me as a newcomer to the area, uh, these walks over the last few years have been one way of linking uh, concerned refinery neighbors uh in Richmond to those in Rodeo, uh, where there's also a major uh, refinery, uh, linking them to uh, refinery neighbors and workers in in, uh, Martinez, where there's two refineries, and uh, across the Coquina Straits uh, to Benicia, where um, there's a, a fifth refinery. So in this part of Contra Costa County and just across the border in Solano County, we have we have five major refineries. And in every one of these refinery towns, uh, whether it's Richmond, Rodeo, Martinez, or um, Benicia, uh, there have been longstanding issues involving flaring, involving uh, air and water pollution, involving uh, major refinery accidents like the one we had here in Richmond in 2012. And um, a lot of jousting with uh, the oil companies, which in each of these communities uh, has long been resistant to regulation that uh, would make these communities uh, cleaner and healthier and safer. 
And so as coalition came together, also with medicine, I said, what you did, but I thought of it too. And I thought of it to talk about a conversation, which, which is indigenous people, the, the, the people who left the Shell Mounds, the people who do their, their walks around from Shell Mound to Shell Mound. And a lot of that land you talked about, you tell that you talked about some of that land taken over by refineries was native land, indigenous people's land. And uh, uh, in fact, I wanted to ask you, are you aware, I am, that uh, out of World War II, there was an Indian village there in the railway yards in Richmond. Of course, uh, uh, that's a major center, major railway center, and there's indigenous, uh, there's indigenous village, people from Laguna Pueblo, native people, who were brought up to work, had, their, had a village there. Have you ever heard that? Uh, I am, yeah. Yeah, check that out, because they're where Laguna Pueblo they came from. And uh, also, this is a Lomi land, and the Lomi people has gotten involved. And this mighty coalition you're talking about, and it was, it came out of the, this was the first real success of the Green Party. And the Green people stepped up, and you elected a mayor. A mayor, this is real, your real grassroots politics. The, uh, the refi refineries are spending millions of dollars but what you got, what you, what was being used in this case is people power. Am I right? Uh, correct. One of the, the the things that I report on in the book is uh, the amount of money that uh, big business interests have spent to try to uh, influence uh, Richmond politics. Uh, if you add up all the money that was spent by the big soda. Uh, interests in in our 2012 election here when we had a soda tax on the ballot and then two years later when Chevron was spending more than three million dollars on a single election and then last fall when the landlord and real estate interests were trying to unsuccessfully to defeat uh, rent control in Richmond um, more than seven million dollars has been spent uh, by big business of one sort or another in the last three municipal elections to try to defeat uh, progressive activists uh, in City Hall and uh, elect uh, business-friendly candidates. And because progressives in Richmond have been able to build an effective grassroots electoral organization that also organizes around a range of issues year-round, not just running candidates every two or four years. Um, uh, since January of, of this year, we've had a five out of seven progressive supermajority on the city council. And uh, last fall, elected two more Richmond Progressive Alliance candidates who uh, placed first and second in the field of nine. All the others were corporate Democrats of one sort or another. And the big issue that helped elect them was rent regulation. Richmond became one of the first California cities in 30 years to, to introduce uh, rent control, which, of course, Berkeley and San Francisco and Oakland have had much longer. Um, but as a result of, of that campaign, uh, uh, voters here, by a two-to-one margin, uh, adopted rent control and... It was progressive community activists who got that measure on the ballot and um, defeated attempts by the landlord lobby to uh, have people vote it down. Well, how and, it's, and the way you describe it, the way you put it out, I'm, it's so interesting. 
and so grassroots and rings, rings too, rings too, and everything. I wonder if you have a copy of the book nearby and could read me a paragraph because your style is so interesting. Your other books, we'll talk about your other books soon, but do you have a copy of your book around? Uh, I do. Why don't we, could you read me a Could you read us, the vast listening audience? Ten thousand downloads or so in the last month. Uh, how many are listening live? I don't know. Know where to tell. But let, could you read something, please? Well, I don't know. I could just read a little paragraph here, quoting from uh, an old friend of mine from Vermont who uh, was good enough to contribute it uh, forward to the book, oh, Bernie Sanders, and. Uh, in our big election fight with uh, Chevron in the fall of 2014, uh, Bernie was good enough to, to come to Richmond to do a big fundraiser for progressive candidates on the ballot that year and uh, also uh, speak at a town hall meeting in Richmond Municipal Auditorium that was attended by about 500 people. And uh, the point that Bernie uh, made uh, uh, you know, I could I could quote him. Uh, he told that crowd, I love municipal government, and I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, establishing community, bringing people together, creating a sense of place where people feel good about each other, that's the best that we can do, and that's what you can do at the local level. Um, and I think uh, that really captures uh, what I hope is the spirit of the book, uh, I, I don't want to make um, too much a, a, of a virtue out of necessity, uh, but at the moment, you know, given the political situation we're confronted with at the state level and certainly uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, one of the remaining places in American politics where people can organize and really have more of an immediate impact is at the municipal level. And um, in the wake of Bernie's campaign, literally hundreds of people uh, many of them young around the country are kind of following in the footsteps of Richmond progressives. Uh, they're running for city council, running for mayor, running for school board, running for state legislative positions, uh, running for county supervisor. And they're uh, doing this because uh, this is one way of uh, pursuing an agenda uh, that addresses problems with uh, environmental injustice, uh, economic injustice, and uh, attacks on workers and immigrants. And uh, by organizing at the local level, uh, if successful, you know, uh, as progressives have been in Richmond, uh, city government, city hall, instead of becoming an instrument for uh, controlled by big business corporation like Chevron can really become uh, a tool for local activism and uh, a defender of, uh, of people in a majority-minority mi community like Richmond. Well, that's what, uh, what, you're about, what we're about. What we hear about the comments of the collective is giving a voice to that. And your book, just by chance, it came, kind of came to my hand. I was at the book fair, and we started talking, and now we're talking again and being heard by a lot of people. And your book is an amazing uh, uh, kind of description of how the devil they say is in the details. I say the angels are in the details as to how that happened in Richmond 
And if it can happen in Richmond, it can happen everywhere. And uh, we're not the voice of that, but we are a voice. And so we're open to people come in and to let us know how this is going to work and play out. We did have an election a couple of weeks ago, and there's some surprising results and super surprising to the Republican parties. With women, people of color, women stepping up, women stepping up. I believe it's the time of the woman. That's why I say goddesses galore, sisters glorious. It's time for the men to step back, for women stepping up, and we're going to have a very different situation, and it's time for a chance, and so give it a chance. What do you think, um, Steve? No, I think that uh, if people continue to build uh, a stronger progressive base, stronger community labor coalitions, uh, electoral formations like the Richmond Progressive Alliance, which are working-class-oriented and uh, membership-based and organized year-round around a range of issues, I think that provides a much stronger platform for progressives mounting um, campaigns, uh, whether electoral or non-electoral, at the regional state and ultimately at the national level. And give well, hey Val. Yeah, Dave. Hey Val, this is a see- great conversation with Steve Early, and we're talking again about his book, uh, Refinery Town, in reference to Richmond, California, right across the bay. Uh, uh, really good. It's a really good read. A really good read. It's a fun read to understand and to see and how that played out. And it's just not just a, a, a dry statement of what happened. You bring life into it, and uh, and that you come. And it's uh, by the way, it's published by. Uh, we had mentioned that. Uh, the, letter, the first part of the show, that there's an event, Norman Solomon, at the Unitarian Center. Is that right? Uh, yes, and I heard you saying uh, in the previous segment of your show some very nice things about Unitarians, and I want to I second that motion because uh, I'm uh, privileged to have uh, the book published by a great Boston-based uh, Unitarian Universalist Association-affiliated publishing house, uh, Beacon Press, more than 160 years old, uh, a great publishing house with a long, proud history of producing uh, all kinds of books uh, about civil rights, about women's rights, um, uh, about African-American history, about labor organizing, uh, immigrant movement organizing. Uh, Check it out. Beacon Press has got a lot of great titles. One of its all-time bestsellers also had a, uh, a foreword by a U.S. senator. Uh, it was a multi-volume uh, production of Beacon Press about 40, 45 years ago. It was called the Pentagon Papers. So um, Beacon Press has also yeah. been uh, a key publisher of, of books um, that have animated the, uh, the peace movement over the years, including yeah. by authors like uh, the great Howard Zinn. We had a book festival uh, uh, in his honor just a week or so ago in San Francisco. Yeah, it was so good to uh, to see the uh, Beacon Press. That's, uh, that's your publisher. Yeah. And I think we take it all the way back to the abolitionist Unitarian role, anti-slavery movement. And there's somebody should, and I'm sure will come out, a history of the Beacon Press. And the history that had its roots there in New England, and they still seem really New England. And you had mentioned uh, coming here from the community, with the communi- from the communication workers reunion where you were a... Uh, uh, where you were... were 
But that was your job. That's what you did in New England. Is that right? Uh, yes. I For close to 30 years, I was a, uh, what's called a national union representative for the communication workers, uh, primarily working with telephone workers, but also uh, folks in higher education and um, in manufacturing and in the airline industry wow. and the media. Um, CWA is a very diverse union uh, out here in California. It represents um, folks at AT&T, of course, and uh, also about nine or 10,000 folks at the University of California. So I helped uh, CWA members with contract negotiations, strikes, organizing um, some political action. And um, in New England, one of our, our greatest allies and staunchest supporters in any number of strikes and organizing campaigns, particularly in telecom, uh, was uh, Bernie Sanders. And I'm proud to report that uh, uh, Communication Workers of America was the, the biggest of the five or six national unions that were supporters of Bernie when he uh, ran uh, for president in 2015-16. And the nurses, too, stepping up. We're talking about the nurses becoming more and more politically active. Women, uh, women uh, with their eye on the prize. I'm talking about the nurses and communication workers union. And I am, it makes me want to cry. I am crying, for sure. And, I, I, and what I see, talking about uh, the East Coast, so talking about New England, with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is 76 years old now. He's going to be, how old is going to be when it comes in, uh, uh, when uh, 2020, is that it for the next presidential election? He'll be in his early 80s. I'm 80, so I know what 80 is like. He'll be in his early 80s. But I see coming up, keeping her head kind of up and down, not saying it. I'm talking about this, the senator emerging from the state of Massachusetts, Massachusetts, I'm talking about Elizabeth Warren. I think we're going to might see something very interesting there. Well, I think, you know, we need charismatic and inspiring leaders, but uh, one of the most positive legacies of Bernie's campaign was uh, the organization that it left in its wake. Um, the Richmond Progressive Alliance that we've been talking about is one of about 400 local groups around the country that's now part of a network called Our Revolution. And this uh, Our Revolution network uh, uh, is composed of, of local groups of uh, former Sanders for President supporters who have decided to go local in politics themselves, uh, run for office, build multi-issue uh, labor and community-based electoral formations, and they're having increasing success uh, electing progressives uh, around the country. And I think, um, well, it's important, of course, that that uh, Bernie get reelected to the Senate in Vermont next year. Uh, what's really going to, uh, I think, carry on the great work of his uh, 40 or 50-year career in politics is um, thousands of, of younger people um, following in his footsteps and, um, you know, building uh, an ongoing organization that's not, you know, dependent on a single charismatic figure. We've had them before. Jesse Jackson had a great impact in the 1980s, but, you know, where's the Rainbow Coalition today? Unless uh, people convert these presidential election efforts 
whether it's Green Party, whether it's Ralph Nader, whether it's uh, Bernie or Jesse Jackson running inside the Democratic Party into lasting forms of political organization, um, we're going to be back where we started. It's, uh, Steve, is that uh, I'm looking to you, as I told Bill that they were talking about Norman Solomon, and I, I'm looking to you that any that we're entirely open. We we aim, and I'm sure we aim to be a voice of all of that. Added added as it added it emerges, our 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 kind of what is it? Is it a slogan? Is it a a uh, is there these four lines? We go like this. This is what we believe. This what this came to me from the spirit. I'm a Sufi. I believe the spirit speaks to me. And here's what she said: Cast the wide net. Find the common thread. Let life flourish, and then don't panic. Just keep it organic. So that's the way I kind of. That's why I realize that that works for me. That's what I've done in my life. And then later. So I wanted to tell you, Steve, that, uh, that I welcome your help. Anybody who thinks should be on about any any Friday, um, any Friday to come on and talk about what we're talking about from their perspective. There are many uh, perspectives. I have the name Diamond Dave. Maybe one of the things uh, is that I believe, and I hadn't thought of this before, many facets of the struggle wherever we are. Don't panic. Keep it organic. And... Uh, that's what I aim to do, Steve. And so, any anybody uh, who you had, and you're always welcome to, to come yourself. This is what we're heard around the planet on the internet. That means we can. Uh, we're not uh, under the theme under the uh, under the thumb of the FCC. You see what's happening uh, with uh, with uh, with the what they want to do with the internet and so on with these reactionaries. Now, uh, that's good. Uh, that's that's we're 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 on the internet. So at this point, we're totally free. Let's see what we can. Oh, is Boots calling? Oh, hey Boots. Okay. Well, we're going on. So let's uh, work together, brother. And uh, uh, as long as we're free, we're free. What do you say? Maybe well, I lost them. I don't know, but that's I'm, a, I'm, I'm still here. All right. <laughs> okay, you heard. What, <laughs> well, you heard we're winding you. up. You yeah, heard what okay. I had to say. Well, I, I want to thank you so much both for uh, having me on and and uh, keep up the great work with the show. All right, and you keep up the great work as well. And and to 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 sum it all up, you're welcome anytime. As are any folks that uh, you want to send our way who want to. Put the word out and uh, stream around the planet on the internet here on mutinyradio.fm as part of the Common Thread Collective. And Great, I will do that. All right, and this show is broadcasting live, but also will be a podcast on mutinyradio.fm. Go to podcasts, scroll down to Common Thread Collective, and today is Friday, December eighth, twenty seventeen. Um, so he, so he's. Uh, thank you, Steve Early, for calling in about his book, Refinery Town. Go read it. Diamond Dave has been. I'm going to play a little music for us, and then we'll be back with our next guest. Boots Houston has just come in. So uh, here we go. Smiling face, outstretched hand through dispute. Small and grand, we will lay down 
In our 
You are listening to the Common Thread Collective here at MutinyRadio.fm San Francisco. And um, thanks for joining us. We're here every Friday here at 2781 21st Street, right at the corner of 21st and Florida in the Mission District. And you are welcome to come and join us. You can come down and play music, read poetry, Uh, spread the word about your art, your projects, your activism, and all good things as we uh, try to up the vibes of the planet and uh, bring good things to life and to life. Um, One thing I do want to mention, a friend of ours uh, has, well, been charged with, um, well, some what they're calling crimes, which it's actually peaceful protest. There's a group of people who were protesting on January 20th, um, J20, if you're in the, uh, in the nomenclature. That was Inauguration Day this year, um, but J20 also was uh, the date of the huge movement of Occupy back in 2012, where across the country, uh, people got, got together and shut down financial institutions, but you probably didn't hear about it because the news didn't like talking about it. Anyhow, uh, J20, January 20th, this year was the inauguration day, and there's a group of 11 uh, protesters who had uh, formed a, a peaceful line of protest and we're blocking traffic and the district attorney of San Francisco is prosecuting them and kind of throwing the book at them in some, in some regard. So, um, these 11 Bay area activists are being prosecuted. Um, and their court date is coming up on the 12th, uh, which I think that is uh, Tuesday. So, um, they are asking if you would like to support them to call the district attorney here, George Gascon, uh, and ask them not to prosecute activists in San Francisco. And if you want to give give the DA a call, the number there is 415-553-1752. Again, 415-553-1752. And uh, tell them to drop the charges. Um, I know one of the people who's been charged and she is probably the most like calm and peaceful person I've ever met. So I know that she wasn't out there causing a riot, um, but rather exercising first amendment rights to gather peaceably, um, and to, uh, you know, air grievances against the government. So if, if you'd like to support free speech in America, um, the right to protest, uh, you and to, to protect those, especially here in San Francisco, where we are on the edge of the Western world, give them a call and uh, ask the DA to drop the charges on the J-20 resistors. So uh, sending love to everybody who um, is brave enough to stand up for rights and, and to those especially who are being punished for doing so. So I want to play a little music and we'll be back in just a moment or so uh, with Boots Houston, uh, who's been producing music shows in, in and around San Francisco and beyond for the past few decades. And we're going to talk about what's going to happen next in terms of the summer of love being recognized and celebrated here in San Francisco. Here's a little more music from these sisters, Emma's Revolution. In the fire's glow Brother Manny come down See me Come down that road Brother Manny come down And find me And this is what he told He said 
If you think you love that girl, then you better treat her right. If you're gonna be with her, then you better go tonight. You better go tonight. Brother Man came down to show me where I belong. Brother Man, his words released me, freed me with his song. music from Mike Rufo. I thought it was playing Emma's Revolution, but Mike Rufo is also a cool local musician uh, song called Brother Man, of course, off his album Nothing But Now. Thanks, Mike Rufo. Check him out. Right, uh, Mike Rufo Music. That's Rufo with one F. But speaking of music, um, Boots Houston, welcome to the Common Thread Collective. Boots. Yeah, man. Yeah, we're here. So we're good alive. to see you. Yeah, see you, brother. Why don't we find some of the bands that played last night for the 40th anniversary? And so when you take a break, yeah. we can play some of that music. Tell me who was there for the 40th yeah. anniversary. Oh, yeah. Jesus, Sly's band was there without Sly Stone. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else? There was... Um, we can find them right here. God, there was like... 30 acts, and I can't think of yeah, how it was amazing. It's Country yeah, it Joe. Was, yeah, Country Joe. Yeah, the, the, face. the Charlatans, Charlatans were there. there. That was, yeah, that was on the 30th and 40th. Um, we had, they had um, uh, Michael McClure doing poetry yep. with Ray Manzarek that playing was, on the keys. That was great. That was super cool. That was cool. a great set. Yeah, and there was also, um, um, see, I think, um, let's see, what was that? It was, uh, mm. anyway. 27 other ones so <laughs> many that was that was a beautiful day and what we're talking about D- Dave Dave would jump jumped right into it talking about the 40th anniversary of the summer of love which uh boots produced here in Golden Gate Park back 
10 years ago. And um, uh, I just want to look at you for my own, I just put a little, uh, a little perspective to it. I'm a relic. I was there, I got there in 1966. So that summer of love that they're celebrating includes me because I was there up and down that street that some called love and some called hate 50, was it 51 years ago? Yep. And uh, you did you uh, you uh, you put together the, uh, the 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 celebration of the thirtieth, right? Yeah, I was part of the thirtieth and you, the fortieth. And the fortieth. Yep. I opened up the fortieth by saying, uh, "Getting cast away and find that common thread." And uh, waterfall may rest in peace. He's gone to the sky, the spirit world, the other side of the camp, as the Indians say. Yep. But his uh, if you go to YouTube. Look at my, my name, Diamond Dave Whitaker. You'll see the video of the very grand opening. And on each side were these huge screens where I, said, where I was there like 30 feet high. Yeah, they were and, huge. Oh, my goodness. I looked out at this enormous crowd. There at Speedway Meadow. 100,000 people. Wow. And there I was. And this was uh, and now it was a beautiful day. That was my birthday, actually. Wow. I was wow. A, uh, nice. It was really, really, it was such a special day. I was backstage all day just running around with my shoes off and uh loving every minute of it it was great it's totally yeah. great you know what's interesting is a lot of people came together to make that event happen too it just wasn't you know a couple people it was hundreds of people everybody worked for free nobody got paid As it you know be. it was yeah it was done out of love and you know, out of kindness you know and in some ways it's a reflection like uh for the 50th anniversary i was at the rainbow gathering and talk to people. That's when we were. Was that Oregon? Was this year? That was too. That was uh, the fiftieth. Okay. And talked about people did come down uh, because the Rainbow Gathering is many ways a reflection of that. Mm -hmm. And then we had uh, Chet Helms and yeah. that whole that whole lineage, which goes back as well. Am I right? Yeah, it goes all the way back to 1965. And Chet, and his. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's. Yeah, I worked with Chet for. Yeah, 15, yeah, 20 let's, years. Yeah, let's give a, because the, the, what, you, what you're about, Part Butch, of the, the family dog. That's right. Exactly, and then all the family dog came, and Chad, what was it? Oh, uh, uh, the very shows he did, the show Ed he Fillmore did. Fillmore with Bill Graham, and well, Bill and, and Chet together. And that then was, later, when well, they finally came together, we had, uh, well, we had during, the, during that summer of love, there were two, there's Bill Graham, and there's Chet Helms, both of them putting on shows. Chad had come up from Texas. Yep. And had a more collective. We were about collectives. We were about communes. Up that, at that period, one of the differences between the Beats, my generation, the Beatniks, and the hippies is the hippies were far hey, more. Do you remember the Anxious Ass the club called the Anxious yes, Ass? Yes, I do. <laughs> the Anxious Ass, the place. Yeah, it was over on uh, Grant Street or off yeah, of Grant. That was the places that we made those rounds. It'd be Jack Kerouac. Yeah. There'd be the there'd be Dean Moriarty. That's. Uh, that's, coffee and uh, Confusion, Coffee that. Gallery. That came a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, then there's the coffee house, speaking of coffee houses, where we'd hang out during the day. Blue Unicorn. Blue Unicorn. <laughs> How do you know all that? Blue Unicorn. Hey, I was there, too. I grew up in San Francisco, man. I well, graduated well, you, in 66. So you were a 10-year-old running making those? No, I was 18. Okay. I was like, 18. We were 18, and what year were you 18, Boots? I was 18 on 1966. Okay, well, I'm talking about 57. Oh, that's scary. But some of those people, <laughs> uh, 19, that's when I, I first could hitchhiked in, having been heard that something was happening in San Francisco. So you know about the Blackhawk. The Blackhawk. The Hawk. club that called was, the Blackhawk. My mom used to go to the Blackhawk. So saw, did my dad. <laughs> she saw um, Miles Davis play at the Blackhawk. Wow. Yeah, that, that was some great players. But the place that came out of it, that was a little more upscale. The Jazz yeah. Workshop came out of that. But was doing at the time, 
the underground place was called Jimbo's Bob City. Yeah, that was off yeah. of Fillmore or somewhere. Off of Fillmore, yeah, he had, yeah. And that's where all of the musicians would come to jam. Yeah, and they'd play all night. Yeah, they'd come from doing the show. There were these are all these are people who later became were then famous. Then Mung me, Mungus and Nick. I was Mungus and Nick. <laughs> Mingus and Mungus. All these folks. It's a Mingus among us. That generation. They'd yeah. all come over to Jimbo's and hang out, and everyone's equal and jam together. Yeah, man, it was beautiful. That's where I first learned the words. I knew the word groovy. <laughs> and that's where I discovered now, looking back at it, groovy came, came with the word groovy came together when a bunch of musicians come and get up there together and jam, and soon they get in the groove. They'd call it, that was groovy. And it became groovy. Yeah, man. Groovy means we're in the groove. Like, <laughs> yeah. like we're doing the show boots, yeah. and you and I talk, the three of us are talking, and we're getting in the groove. Yeah, we are. Fuck yeah. Yeah, we're stepping into it. And that's what happens to what we <laughs> hope to do every Friday, three to six. Is that right, uh, right Val? That's right. Every, getting in every the Friday here on the Common Thread Collective. Uh, and that becomes groovy. And now it turns out that about 10,000 people are listening. But we got the women's magazine. We got the uh, listening on Friday to the show because we be groovy. All right. And we bring them in the groove all the way around. That, uh, and we're on the internet so we can say, fuck, yeah. That's what it's about without worrying about the FCC. Nice. I like it. Fuck it's yeah. like revolution in your face. It's so nice. It but you stuck it there. I came, I saw, in fact, my, if you go to my Facebook page, the picture I have is my fist in the air as we walked out having, having our last joust with the park, uh, park commission saying, no, no way. And of course, uh, no way, and we filed out like this, and I and uh, and if you go to my website, my Facebook page, there I am, fist in the air. You know, it's like Country Joe said. He says it's 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 not a summer of love anymore for them. It's the summer of greed. They want to make money, and their whole idea is to make as much money out of the park as they can, and they are just greasing everybody. I mean, even, I mean, people like you know uh, Outlands, for instance. I mean, they pay five hundred thousand dollars in permit fees. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And they want people like us from the community to pay the same kind of fees. You can't do it. Nobody can do and it. And with, with the arrival of Outlands, uh, it became more and more difficult. It's almost impossible to have an event. Like uh, uh, we had every year I would go to uh, uh, the free event in the park that our brother did. Well, I'm was having a senior moment. Power to the Peaceful? Is power that what you're to the Peaceful. About? Oh, when yeah. it was like Michael Franti and Michael, Mona Lisa that. was involved in some of those as well. And, yeah. And that yeah. was so beautiful. Yeah, she would have me up to, uh, to say a few words. Power to the Peaceful. And so those folks, they put that on every year and they were totally amazing and they brought amazing people and Michael Franti is a friend of mine. So you know what it is, man? They, they don't want people like us. They want to change it. And even though we grew up here, this is our culture. You know, we have generations and generations of people that have been involved in music and the music scene and how we've developed it over the years. But they don't want us. They, they want nothing to do with us. And the reason why is because the people that are in charge aren't from here. They're from New York. Chicago, Philadelphia. In charge, you mean people on the park North Commission? Beach. Who are you talking about being in charge? Oh, it's people. It's people like you know Dana, Dana Ketchum and Diane Ray. They're the two permits officers in the in the permits department now. If you want a permit in the park, you have to talk to them, and well, you have to fit their guidelines however they want. To, well, are to they force under the you park in. commission? No, they're not part of the park commission, but they are hired by them. But the park commission is, is afraid of them. They won't even talk talk them down. They, they just let them go and do whatever they want to do. And you would think that 
it, you know, with, with Golden Cape Park being as wide open and beautiful as it is and maintained throughout the year by, you know, the great gardeners who, who go out there and maintain it. And, you know, that if, if outside lands is paying, you know, half a million dollars for a weekend just to have the permit to be there, that that might actually, you know, kind of cover some costs for local events, you, you know, would think so. maybe even, you know, sponsor it you know the park's going to be there the next day too and we're coming from like we're talking about you know you're talking about the 50th anniversary that it was been you were trying to get you know a, a permit are, for but from yeah. the from the culture from the culture coming from the human being and the woodstock culture and and all of the the music happening in, in golden gate park over the years where it's people who are who appreciate the commons appreciate the space and it'll actually clean up oh yeah I you mean, know we left the, have we a green any cigarette butts there i mean it, we cleaned the whole park it was beautiful even like throughout the day i, I wasn't even i mean the, i'm talking 10 years ago the 40th you know walking around it just you know everybody who comes to a a, a concert like that is you know there and and respecting the land respecting one another you know as much as you can hold it together for the most, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, rattling beer bottles and such, but of course it's a party too. But like you said, there's the green team, people are cleaning up. It's not some outside group who's no. going to come in and tear things up. And, you know, you know, what amazes me is that they've gotten so greedy. They want, they want so much money that, and they've just gotten rid of all the hip, hippie shows. 9-11's gone, you know, like you just said, Michael Frantes. His show's gone. And that was so beautiful. That brought people it was. who weren't normally coming to a hippie thing. They yeah. came, and it was beautiful. And, and Michael Franti is an amazing human being. So and we've changed it. And them. he would come. Well, look at what we were talking in the, in the, in the early part of the show. We had uh, talking about Richmond, talking about what? Talking about grassroots politics, talking about Bernie Sanders and to the left of Bernie Sanders. We're talking about a grassroots movement that's going together, that's going up, that's getting together. And uh, I, I think if we're gonna, you're going to be successful. So here's, Boots, here's where it goes. Here's well, let, me, where... let me just finish a couple of lines. Yeah. Uh, if, if, you know, if this is going to be successful, it's being uh, it's hooking up with people who are in the grassroots, who are doing it in their way, in their place, and we come together. This is a movement with love the people, by the people, and for the people, exactly. and we can't help but be successful. And you uh, welcome Boots to the Common Thread Collective because we are we're not the voice of this, but we are a voice of it. So well, let's put it this so, way. Go ahead, tell us your story. Yeah, let's put it this way. I mean, yeah, when you have Outlands, it pays five hundred thousand dollars for permit fees and charge. Is three hundred and seventy-five dollars for a park for a ticket just to go to the event, and then our event is totally free. There's no admission charge at all. Everybody plays for free. Everybody works for free. It's community. People are basically putting out their effort and their time to make something happen that they feel is important. So we've decided to take this to the people. What we're going to do is we're going to put this on the ballot oh, as no. an initiative in in November. And so right as of Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock, we have all these you know, hundreds of people that are coming down to City Hall. We're going to file the, the papers right there. Everybody's invited. Anybody who wants to come can, can come and hang out. But you got to be on time because at 1130, it'll be over. <laughs> but be there at 11 o'clock. We're going to file the papers. Angela Aliotto is going to hand in you know, the files. And we're going to say, let's put this on the ballot. Let's vote for this. Let San Francisco speak for San Francisco. Okay, why don't you read... 
Why don't you say, put this on the ballot? Read, what, do you have a copy of what this is? You know, I don't, but I can, you know, I can give you the... Well, that's what's important. Yeah, what the it, kind what of see Basically, what's the, the, word? The, ordinance, the ordinance says that uh, the, the event should be allowed to occur with crafts of hundreds of crafts and be allowed to, to uh, have music that runs all day without fencing uh, and without being deterred by the permits department. Uh, and that the city needs to sponsor this event, and you know, give us free, free, um, no, no fees, waive the fees. Well, now there was a. That's a. By the way, Mona Lisa Wallace is the one that put this together. Uh, and I got to give good. her credit. This lady is is. <laughs> she is sharp, and she is on it, and and she she's doing it for with the love that you're talking about. All she these is. people want it. She's part of more. us. She's part of our collective in, in many different ways. Yeah, and I gotta and, give I gotta give Angela Alioto credit too, and okay, she's she's, she's sticking there and fighting for us, you know, all the way down the line. So the lady need, deserves the respect. Fantastic. Well, yeah, and we all do. And now let me ask you. I want to get back to this, and Wednesday I'll definitely be there. Yeah, and Wednesday in the morning, 11 o'clock. Okay, and I, what City I'm Hall. thinking is that we can go out on the steps. Uh, we can go out on the steps. People are interested. We go out on the steps afterwards and talk about how we can make this happen, get to know one another, because it's going to take a real campaign to go from getting it on the, to get it on the ballot, to get those signatures out, to get, to get those petitions to be in the people's hands, where, wherever they have to have to, are, yep. have a, they have the, the interest, uh, mounted the interest to make help make this happen. It won't happen otherwise. Yeah. Right? So yeah. So what happens is, um, see, we file we file Wednesday morning at 11, basement of City Hall, at the voter registration area, and then. Then after we filed, we have until July 15th to come up with 9,000 signatures. So we need roughly 20,000 signatures to to clear the 9,000 because right. uh, they do they use an algorithm when they actually check them, and so you need at least 20,000 to clear. So we'll we need 20,000 signatures by July 15th, and then if we pass that hurdle, then we're on the on the November ballot, and then all of San Francisco can vote for the summer of love. And hopefully. The people got are getting together starting Wednesday. We all know people who know people who know people out there are many networks. And if the people come down there come down there on Wednesday, then we'll be able to once it passes in July, we'll be the basis of those who will get out to begin to build the campaign because I was so it'll be on the ballot in 2018 or 2020. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like the city. I like to see the city actually change their approach to events. I would like to see. Sure, they can keep their the, you know, the corporate thing and charge them through the nose for their events. That to me, that's fine because let them pay the expenses and the cost of our parks. But cultural events, small events that are in the city that are run and and put together by mom and pops, they should be allowed to use our parks for free. Yeah, free events. No doubt. Right. Yeah. Where it's open to the public, yeah. all ages. Yeah. Community you know, organized. Yeah. I'm community with you. organized community events. That's what the parks are for. That's why we have, you know, the polo fields and speedway meadows. Our forefathers built these places for us to be able to have events. Putting out bombs will help serve. The commons. Yeah. Putting out bombs will help serve. Yeah. And uh, all, <laughs> all of the so come in to help bring the folks together. 
And so let, let's go back to the let's look at details. In July, uh, if we get, if you get the number, how many how many signatures? We need twenty thousand signatures okay. by July fifteenth. And, and what? So and what? Uh, let, let, now let me get to the point. So what? With we got an election coming in two thousand eighteen, and of course the presidential election in two thousand twenty. Do you know what? Uh, what election? If it's, if you get the signatures, mm-hmm. what election it will be on? It'll be in the November election. November of of twenty eighteen. Yes, of twenty eighteen. Yeah, coming year. And then we will we if if we pass and we win, then two thousand and nineteen will be our event. Well, there's going to be a lot of progressive things happening. There's going to be a lot of interest in that uh, that year. Well, we'll still have with Trump. Trump is uh, Trump is president is bringing people together at the grassroots. Do you agree? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Well, it's, he's helping bring us together. That's, that's for what sure. We're about. <laughs> so it's going to be exciting and interesting. That rubber band effect. Exactly. We got to go. We got to do something I'm, new I'm, here. And I'm now 80 years old. I was uh, born in 1937. Wow. So every campaign, uh, wow. Every campaign, I'm almost 70, so okay, that's well, scary. Gonna, well, look at 80. That must scare the hell out of you. <laughs> I'm 80. <laughs> 80. But I, and so I've been part of the hipstery. Still rocking. For quite yeah, some time. I turned, I turned 30, in fact, oh. at that summer. That some call, that's, uh, that's, uh, the, that summer that some call the summer of love. So how old were you then? Huh? How old were you in the summer of love? I was 30. Wow. I was older than any of them. So you were in the jazz scene, man. You were there. You were watching it really develop. I got here in 57. Yeah. I got here. I was part part of the diggers. You hear about the diggers? Oh, yeah. I know about the diggers. Yeah. Peter Peter Coyote, Peter Berg, Julie Berg. Yeah, Jules. Julius Carpin. We fed the people. He was part of it, too. And so I want to see a resurrection in a good way. What's happening? A resurrection, a revival, and a renaissance of that spirit. Yeah, man. And so I go back to Jesse. I go back to that early, those early days, the coming together. But uh, I got back to uh, San Francisco. I got where it was here in '57, when the term beatnik was raised. And I got back here. In what six, radio station were you working on at that well, time? I started in '73 on KPO. Oh yeah, KPB, KPO. Yeah. Oh, and Pap turned it into a. Into a pair, into a, it was a, kind of like a college station. Yeah. Called itself Playboy Station. It was all white people. Patrick Henry, no Patrick. Uh, yeah. Can't remember his name. The guy that used to run it, own it. Yeah, I, 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 he went down the coast, starting radio stations all the way down. They had K, K-Rab and uh, Crab Radio in uh, Seattle. It's amazing. He had K-Boo in Portland. I'm, I'm thinking of his name. Somebody should raise a statue to this guy. Yeah. He was pretty cool. Yeah, but he discovered on the left side of the dial at that time, there was space. All you needed was a board of directors, a board, and a cover, and you could have a station. Wow. His name was, and so we got, uh, I had a political talk show. Yeah. Uh, they called me at 409 House, and hey, they called Calvin Welch. Well, I remember the 409 House. Uh, yeah, so yeah, well, that was kind of a center of activity. Yeah. And Calvin was sitting there, and they said, we need somebody to do a political talk show. And he had the phone to me, and that was the beginning. That was uh, that was uh, early seventies. Huh. And so I went. I looked around, but kind of pro, and I said, "This is my this is time for community radio." And I knew people who had mission media project, Latino, Fillmore mm-hmm. Media, Black, other other community media was coming up. It was the time of the SLA, the time of the, of the Weather Underground. All that was happening, and so I started bringing. What we talked about what community radio should be. You know, it's funny. I was talking to some of my friends, my son's friends, uh-huh. about the weather, you know, weathermen, right? Uh-huh. So they were thinking I was talking about just that show called The Weather, weather uh-huh. Show. 
Uh-huh. And I said, no, man, I'm talking about the guys that were, you know, throwing bombs at the police, the police department. Well, yeah, the weather the underground. Yeah. There was just one. Yeah. There we had the, uh, uh, the, the, the weather under the above ground, the weather underground, yeah. in the hate. Yeah, we man. had a lot of collectives with people's food collective. Uh, it was a Maoist time, this early 70s. People spoke and talked about Chairman Mao, had meetings where there was criticism, self-criticism. They took all that serious, and the hate was kind of the red hate by the early 70s. Well, in those uh, days, man, we were thinking about peace and love and compassion. We were coming together as a people joining together. We, cared, we could care less about your ethnic background. We could care less about how you were. If you were a good person, you were a good person. We accepted you for who you were. And the the opening of minds to to other cultures and other people and other perspectives and walks of life, right? That's totally true. Yeah, I lived in. I mean, I I read the I Ching. I read the I Ching backwards and forward every day. Used to throw it in the morning. I mean, I learned all about it, and you know, it's it's it was a spiritual period. It was a spiritual period for everybody opening up and you know learning. Well, in the 70s, it began, that, uh, that was too, but as the 70s rolled up, with the rise of the Black Panthers and Brothers. Yeah. With the rise of the, like, have you heard of the Good Earth Commune? Yeah, I remember the Good Earth Commune. The Good Earth, Earth I was part of it. Oh, right on. We were, I was there, and the, 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 the heat was, in my mind, I was there, my, my, we moved back up there, but as in the Fillmore, as you know, my kids are black and white. Maybe we should explain to people, there was a, there was a lot of cl- uh, communes in the old days that, you know, basically it was people that couldn't afford to pay rent, so we all got together and paid the rent together, and then you ended eating together because you're all in the same house together, and then you become like a family, and then, so the the whole period, maybe for the, from 66 through 69 or 70, maybe even a little later, 71 or 72, this the communes were really, you know, there was a lot of them, and it was a lot of, it was great, it was a lot of fun, and you didn't have to work, and had a place to crash, and People hung out, and you know, you but, discussed political things, and it was just yeah, it was and a beautiful I see, thing. Of course, the, the Stones came out with their song "Street Fighting Man." Let's get that on <laughs> "Street Fighting Man," because times they were changing. Yeah, and the communes. Uh, I was in the Beatniks. People lived uh, together as some we were all friends, but not. But the difference between the hate between the beats and the hippies in many ways is that the hippies were communes, the People's Food Network, yeah. where we began to buy food collectively. Uh, People's Food Network. Out of which came, if you ever go to, uh, when you go to Rainbow Grocery, uh, Rainbow Grocery is, uh, uh, it goes back and back and back. There's Red Star, uh, Red Star Cheese. There's a whole group of collectives yeah, I mean, around food. That whole collective food thing, I mean, that that was, that started in the 60s right there. I mean, yeah, all of that People's did. Food Network. He- you know, health foods. You but, know. Yeah, we had the food conspiracy <laughs> where the communes would get food, uh, buy food collectively in bags. And you're like a cyclopedia, uh, man. You, well, you got I, it I all. call it hipstery. <laughs> history, you read in the history books. Her story is a women's story. Her story comes out of the women's movement in the 70s. But what I do is called hipstery. It's making those connections. Making yeah. those connections that go on. And now at 80, I can look back and see all of that. And I call that my the hipstery. But yeah. Boots, and that part of the hipstery is you coming down here. So Thank I'm you, brother. I appreciate brother. it a lot. And uh, this, uh, this is, we're, we're becoming not the voice of this, but a voice. Uh, we're, earlier we were talking about people involved in the grassroots, come, some in the Bernie campaign, and the idea of grassroots called the, the author of this book, Refinery Town, the uh, big oil, big money, and the remake of American City. That's Richmond, California. So let me just get a couple words out. Please, give but, as many uh, as you want. Just everybody's invited to come Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, the 13th of December. 
at 11 o'clock in the morning in the basement of City Hall and dress up and let's have some fun with this. You know, you know, be as wild, as crazy as you want. Just be, stay peaceful, you know, and be respectful. You know, don't run in any walls or anything like that. But, you know, let, let's get down there and let's have some fun. And that's this Wednesday, and it's important. We're going to file the initiative. You know, the press are going to be there, and they're going to be shooting pictures, and, you know, hopefully it'll be on the 6 o'clock news. And we'll, we're going to let them know that it's now time to change. We've had enough. We're going to do it legally. We're going to wake them up and say, hey, you know, summer love is important. There's thousands of people that care about it, and this is our culture. Fuck yeah. And, right on. And, and uh, it is, uh, Boots, let me look at you. I'm looking at him if you were <laughs> Uh, and this is a to-be-continued, is that right? Yeah, it is. It's not just come by on Wednesday nope. and get it in. It's going to be, I mean, building a, a, a group of people are going to go out and get signatures. Yep. To get signatures, we want to, uh, when bands are playing and shows are going on, we want somebody there and the band will stop and say, this is happening. Could uh, right. uh, We're circling this petition. Please sign your name, like that. Exactly. And we have a grassroots campaign. And we'll get together starting Wednesday. 11 o'clock in the morning. Wednesday, 11 o'clock in the morning. City oh. Hall, basement. <laughs> nice. That's where yeah. I usually go vote. Um, so in terms of so showing up Wednesday and like Dave was saying, making, uh, making announcements at, at various shows where uh, someone will be on hand to uh, sign signat- get gather signatures and things. Um, is there going to be some uh, like a hub of information where people are going to be able to access yes. this? Where what would that uh, be? What's going on? You can go to 50th anniversary summer love. dot com. Uh, that's the the main place where, and we also have Facebook page, 50th anniversary summer love as well, and they'll have all the information up and how to do it and where to go to sign and information numbers and things. Great. So that's 50th anniversary. Summer of Love, not yes. the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love. No, see, 50th anniversary, Summer of Love. <laughs> Dot com. All yeah. right. I'll find it and I'll put the right one on our, on oh, our, you're, <laughs> such, you're so cool. <laughs> I'll put the right one on our, on our Facebook page, Common Thread Collective. Um, yeah. And if there's events, you know, if you're going to have like a signature party or you're going to have a volunteer party or something like that, yeah, we will. come on in or give us a call, let us know, and we'll yeah. spread the word as we do here on Mutiny Radio every Friday. Killer. God bless. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Boots. <laughs> Boots Houston, right on. We're going to get that 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love happening, and hopefully it'll be a, a, a recurring event that the city says, it's for you, it's for us. And uh, what a treat. Thank you for coming in today. So go on out there if you can, if you're free, Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. in the basement of City Hall to deliver those uh, ballot initiative paperwork. And then uh, be on the lookout and uh, see if you want to get involved and help gather signatures for that and let the city uh, take it, take on the, the, um, well, you know, support community-based events for free. That'd be awesome. Here's a track from the 40th anniversary of the Summer of Love concert here in San Francisco. It was a beautiful, beautiful day in Golden Gate Park. Peaceful huge gathering um and this is one of my favorite uh songs from jefferson this was the jefferson starship performing the jefferson airplane song volunteers because it's a community effort here from the grassroots this is a it's not.
Brother man, his words released me, freed me with his song.
came up the Richardson River in the dead of winter. Nobody knowed was he a saint or a sinner. He stormed into that trading post with an anger all his own. Ordered everything in sight, snatched it up, and he was gone. Put it all on his back, every pound, every ounce. A load that a dozen men could hardly even count. No one heard a word, no nothing did he say. Was it a strength or a silence that turned them away? He's the mad trapper from Edmonton. He's the mad trapper, what has he done? He's the mad trapper from Edmonton. He's the mad trapper. were few then and their trapping laws were new trying to keep the peace in the winter of 32 royal spike millen was a cut above the rest he saw the spirit and the man-in-law and he put both to the test albert johnson dug himself a hole deep in the snow and deep in his soul Johnson got to firing and he caught the Mountie on the arm. They went back to regroup and the Great North Chase was on. Royal Spike Millen was loved by everyone. He didn't need to chase him, but that's what he done. He thought he could reach him with his words and his calm. He saw part of himself and he had to move on. Quick with the 
some more music from Mike Rufo music. Um, so you are listening to the Common Thread Collective here, mutinyradio.fm, San Francisco's Mission District, corner 21st in Florida every Friday. Come on down and join us sometime, except for the Friday after Christmas, I, I would say, make that caveat. Anyhow, um, live performances and uh, cool, cool stuff going on all the time. And uh, up at the mic next is a member of our collective and at the piano another member of our collective and uh, at the mic i'm talking about james ellis hello james welcome back to the common thread thank you global val and at the piano i see we have our friend blood flower take it away guys thank you this is mr j krishnamurti why is there contradiction in ourselves done something I didn't want it to be discovered I thought something which does not come up to the mark which puts us in a state of contradiction and I do not like it where there is approximation there must be fear and it is this fear that contradicts Whereas, if, if there is no becoming, no attempting to be something, then there is no sense of fear. There's no contradiction. There is no lie in us at any level, consciously. Unconsciously. Something to be suppressed. Something to be sh- shown up. As most of our lives are a matter of moods and poses. Depending on our moods, we pose. Which is a contradiction. When the mood disappears, we are what we are. It is this contradiction that is really important. Not whether you tell a polite white lie or not. Look, so long as this contradiction exists, there must be a superficial existence, and therefore superficial fears which have to be guarded and then white lies you know and all the rest of it falls let us look at this question not asking what is a lie what is truth but without these opposites going to the problem of contradiction in ourselves which is extremely difficult because as we, we depend so much on sensation. Most of our lives are contradictory. We depend on memories. 
on opinions. We have so many fears, which we want to cover up. All these create contradiction in ourselves. When that contradiction becomes unbearable, one goes off one's head. One wants peace. And everything that one does creates war. <laughs> Not only in the family, but outside. Instead of understanding what creates conflict, we only try to become more and more one thing or another. The opposite. <laughs> Thereby creating greater cleavage. Is it possible to understand why there is contradiction in ourselves? Not only superficially, much more deeply, psychologically. First of all, is one aware that one lives a contradictory life? We want peace and we are nationalists. We want to avoid social misery and yet each one of us is individualistic, limited, self-enclosed. We are constantly living in contradiction. Why? Is it not because we are slaves to sensation? This is neither to be denied nor accepted. It requires a great deal of understanding of the implications of sensation which are desires we want so many things all in contradiction with one another we are so many conflicting masks we take on a mask when it suits us and deny it when something else is more profitable more pleasurable it is a state of contradiction which creates the lie. In opposition to that, we create quote-unquote truth. But surely truth is not the opposite of a lie. That which has an opposite is not truth. The opposite contains its own opposite. Therefore, it is not truth. I don't understand this problem profoundly. One must be aware of all the contradictions, all the contradictions in which we live. When I say, I love you, with it goes jealousy, envy, anxiety, fear, which is contradiction. It is this contradiction which must be understood. And one can understand it only when one is aware of it. Aware without any condemnation or justification. Merely looking at it. To look at it passively. One has to understand all the processes of justification and condemnation. It's not an easy thing to look passively at something. But in understanding that, one begins to understand the whole process of the ways of one's feeling and thinking.
when one is aware of the full significance of contradiction in oneself. It brings an extraordinary change. You are yourself, then. That's something you're trying to be. You are no longer following an ideal, seeking happiness. You are what you are. And from there you can proceed. Then there is no possibility of contradiction. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you. You are what you are. And here we are on the Common Thread Collective where you can be who you be and we'll love you for it. Uh, thank you for reading some J. Krishnamurti, James Ellis. And thank you, Bloodflower, for your musical accompaniment and uh we we are going to have you come back in a little bit uh maybe to to wrap up the show um but we've got we've got a new segment here with dave dave dave's got some some new reading material and has uh some literary commentary i think what, it could what, be what? a literary com commentary it could be where we are from here as people know as you know though that I have my outward world, which is walking around doing stuff, calling people my hipstery, but I also have my inward world of book reading. 80 years old. How many years have they spent? 70 years or so of being a voracious reader. Well, last Sunday, the, the, the flea market, by the way, the flea market where I live there, at Alamini Flea Market, that, that warehouse uh, right there in the corner where I live, it's, uh, the flea market has expanded so now we have kind of an outlaw flea market. These people don't ever come who don't want to pay the $30 or so to get a space at the regular flea market. Where it's on Sunday, the same place where the Alameda Farmer's Market is, now set up around my wall. I'm that close. Set up, it started with one or two. Now the whole wall, all the way up the building, I live in a warehouse, up the building, both sides of the street, is kind of an outlaw flea market. These are people there, they bring the, so they can drive in, can drive in, in a truck, and, and like a pickup truck, and open the back, and it's a display. A display of stuff. So much stuff. But I'm walking down, and I say, what's this? I see a pile of books. Like, books! I'm always attracted by books. And what? Well, this is an amazing collection of books. They're all free. And I look around, nobody's selling them. It's a pile of books. And they look like relatively new books. They're so beautiful. And a few of my, I brought, I brought, took away a whole armload, a whole armload, and what the common thread is, and why somebody came and brought these really good books, really amazing books, to that space right, right around the corner of my wall, on my wall, and just left them. God is only knows. And so I brought some of them, and I'm going to some of them spend a little time, some I'm not. And uh, uh, here's a book called Thrall, Thrall Poems by Natasha Tr 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 
to Trent Huey. So she's a poet laureate of the United States. Yeah, well, she was a. Is I don't know if she's the current one or she was a couple laureates. Really, ago. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, she's. I think she's from. She's from somewhere in the South. She might be from Louisiana. Oh shoot! What's well, a beautiful book? Boy, my God, my. You have your glasses, Dave. Where are your glasses? They're here somewhere. Here they are. But I don't usually don't read. The light is kind of bad here. But anyway, yeah, Natasha Treadhuey. Oh, she's a young woman. Look, what a beautiful is the she's the Charles Howard Cruller Professor of English and Creative Writing at Emory. Another thing, where women stepping up, where men once held uh, held uh, held the boundary. Whoever it's uh, whoever Charles Howard Candler is, he's long gone, and she stepped in. Uh, Nave Guard, is it? Was it a third collection? Okay. All right. But anyway, this is a beautiful book, too. Look at this. And so I'm going to pick a poem, kind of at random. She was born on. What's this about? Kind of. Manhattan and London, yeah. Well, anyway, hey, uh, have a seat there. Speaking of books, here's the library lady. Hey, Allison, these are the books that are left up pretty much at my door. And I'm, I, I, I want to set up this, and you could help with this. You could bring some books, and we could talk about them like new poetry, uh, books that will be of interest to our progressive, radical, a radical uh, audience and uh, uh, encouraged to participate in whatever way they can. And so next, so you could, uh, you could, I would. That's a great idea. Um, the next time I come, I was planning to bring that book that I mentioned last time, Lies My Teacher Told Me. So I'll bring that. Yeah, bring it by, yeah, a few of them. Look at maybe some new, new, new poetry. You and can bring them, and you can say if you'd like to. Uh, that's what we did. Remember when I did my on the page, off the page at the at the mission at the uh, Hay Ashbury Library? I would go up there and pick the new poetry, and read it. And then they say, if you want to see, read more, the books in circulation, all you need is your library card. This is a reading I did for a long time at the at the Hay Ashbury branch of the library. Uh, at the beginning. The Friends of the Library gave me $100 a month or $200 a month to do that. Oh, right. Now, that's the one at Park Branch. And it's Park run, Branch. And um, Richard Ivanhoe is um, hosting it now. I guess it's on Tuesday. It's on Tuesday coming. And I started that, and I'm the one who first named it on the page and off the page. I think that's how we met, Dave. And that's, that's how, that's kind of how we, we met. Too. Well, you remember, you see uh, how a open mic is done. And open mic is done, and that's how we met too. So here we are doing. And I had done, before that, I had done the, when the library just opened, the main library just opened, I went to, I had this idea of an open mic down there in the, down in the, in the auditorium. And I went, I discovered the woman who was in charge of the public of the halls there. It turned out she became very much of a friend, and she got me $150 a month 
from the um, Friends of the Library, and I could have a featured reader and say, come and read. People like uh, Q.R. Hand and his his uh, group, uh, poets, uh, his group, would come and and read. I could buy a check for $150, and there was a first open like at the library in in the auditorium. It's a big auditorium. Oh, it was it's beautiful. Very nice. But we were kind of filling it up with the people. And we had some really good poets. Well, I got poets I could pick and say, come and be the featured poet. Got 150 bucks for you. That's right. That um, If people are interested in performing at the library, they can find access to our um, program proposal form. You submit it and um, send it down to the... It goes to the exhibitions and programming department, and they look it over. They're very open to... Um, people that are local either here in the city or bay area and for all ages we don't care from eight to eighty or from zero to a hundred performers of all types and um we're we're able to offer so much more than we used to because because now we're all open every day and uh, all the branches are open sundays now so um we're very open and that gives us time uh, excuse to mention Poems Under the Dome, and they lend a hand with that, don't they, Val? Yes, the Friends of the Library always support us uh, to to hold our free public event inside City Hall every April. So um, they've done it for the past 12 years and have been a great supporter and proponent and have even offered in the past to to accommodate a a group of of poets if if we get kicked out of City Hall. We would never get kicked out of City Hall. And they do have a dome at the main library, too. They do. Well, it's all connected. Well, maybe we can say that. Maybe maybe we should have a second in the library. But this time, it's uh, I think the City Hall, it's uh, symbolically important that we have that. It's now the 13th anniversary coming up. And and uh, I've uh, the 13th anniversary coming up, and we have our poet laureates, who definitely is a friend of ours. Who's the poet laureate, uh, Val? Kim Shuck. Kim Shuck is definitely with us in every way, and I think if we all, well, it, I wouldn't be surprised if this year Poems of the Dome begins with a poem by the poet laureate, as we did done in the past. We had Diane De Prima do a poem to open it up one of the years. Yeah, she, um, yeah, Diane de Prima, and then she she sent someone in her stead to read a poem uh, to open it up. That's right. That's it. Um, but we've poems. but we've had a couple. But we've had um, uh, other poet laureates with Alejandro Murguia. He he did it two years in a row. Um, Kim Shuck actually before she was named poet laureate just this year, uh, last year because we didn't have a poet laureate, uh, she was actually we, we we asked her to be the what we call the poet of the people. Um, so it's the person who can read the first poem of the night. Um, so this year, she'll be there to do it as our Poet Laureate. And so Kim, Kim is, uh, up to, uh, Kim is, uh, what would we do? But Kim, I, I see, I saw it, uh, I see it around, I see where the people are coming together, that there's a movement arising. I, of course, as you know, I was one of the beatniks and the hippies and freaks and something else is coming up and I believe I'd like to have a brunch or something where we can get together. Now we have a, a Boots, come to think of it, we have Boots and his event, which is going to be, bring people together. Uh, 
and uh, uh, the people together, we look back 50 years to the summer of love. We also look forward to who we are, what we have in this point of time, and what is the movement that's going to emerge that's political, that's cultural, that's all of those things, as many facets, as, as yet unnamed, Val. As, uh, as yet unnamed Allison, but I think we can help make that happen. I agree. I and think I, it's kind. Of, I think it started in Oakland earlier this week. Actually, this the all the city workers are on strike they are. for the fourth or fifth day. Yeah, and they and from what I heard this afternoon, I don't think there's a contract yet. So. so, and I think that's going to be something that um, we're going to see a lot more of in the new year. So, Dave, I think you're right, and there may even be another J twenty. And so the Women's March again, it's got the Women's March so successful, it's going to be happening again. So more and more, I'm realizing, I think you're well, that what we have and what we have going uh, through this, Mike, on Friday, that we're not, uh, we're not just, uh, we're, we're, that we're a voice. We're not the voice, but a voice of these change of political, cultural, labor, and bring, make it be a mic, an open mic for all these folks to come and put the word out. But anyway, I'm doing this. I want to call on you in a bit, uh, Ellison. Yeah, well, we're looking just, just to keep everybody on check. We're It's 5.20. Okay, so we have well, about 20 to 25 minutes tops. we can do the 15 minutes. The last how many yeah. minutes? We've got about 20 minutes or so. Well, okay, so I'm going to do a couple from all of these. I'll do one from each. And so this is by the Ford lawyer that I opened up to on captivity. And she's a quote from 1699. Jonathan Dickinson begins... Being all stripped as naked as we were born and enduring to hide our nakedness, these cannibals took our books and tearing out the leaves, uh, out the leaves would give each of us a leaf to cover us. There was a fig leaf. And this was the, can the cannibal, all cannibals. As the hands now of their captors, those they've named savages, do they say the word itself savagely hissing? That first level letter, the serpent, serpent's image, releasing thought into speech for them now. Everything is flesh, as if their thoughts made suddenly corporal, reveal even more their nakedness. Their nakedness. This is the capture. This is for you to. This is a beautiful book, too. The shame of it, their bodies rendered plain as the natives, homely and pale, their ordinary sex. The secret, illicit hairs, they do not, cannot cover enough, naked as newborns. This is how they are brought to knowledge, Adam and Eve in the new world. They have only the Bible to cover them. Think of it, a woman holding before her the torn leaves of Genesis, and a man covering himself with a good, good book's front piece, his own name inscribed on the page. Lousy. That's something, this is that's history. That something happened with the settlers who came. And now another book. How do I begin? These are beautiful books, by the way. This is called How Do, How do We Begin? A Home Among American Literary Anthology. These are the Hmong people who came... Uh, Came uh, where these wellness photographs to refugees, but not more. The monks, they're the ones up, up in the mountains, 
up in the mountains in Cambodia and Laos. And they came to, and this is a winter anthology. Here's a poem from there. Among goodbye. I'm playing Scrabble at the funeral on English streets with idle children who already know death. Took forever out here. Meanwhile, the old men of St. Paul curse each other's shifting fortunes in their coarse card games as 40-ounce bottles slowly slide down throats to swollen boys. The hue of amber and rice, tears are reserved for the women in the next wood amongst world room among, among suspended drums and droning horns of bamboo and gourd, singing a dry road map to the next world. Incense, hairspray, and, and, permit, and perfume permit the, permit the waxy parlor where young boy wonders if it is true. You need special shoes when walking over the land of fuzzy caterpillars towards heaven with a split soul. My opponents look up accusingly, scattering tiles to every corner, they're playing, uh, and he's scattering tiles to every corner, running off to play other games instead. Minute mock, mouths mocking the word extinct, pronouncing it a fraud. And that's the Hmong people in the USA. And then, shoot, I, this is amazing stuff. And I have a little bit more. I want to, uh, most I, I just bought a portion. Uh, there's many more that I didn't bring. And now, here's a, I haven't gotten to the treasure yet, the book I'm reading, which is, but look at this, uh, folks. Well, I'll tell you, this is what, how does this look? This is at the bottom. It's like a book in a, it's a book in a box. Is that Hafiz? It has, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's Hafiz. That, that's, uh, that's Hafiz. And it has on one side, on one side, look, one side is Persian. I mean, it's a big book. Then I turn around, it's in English. Oh, wow. So are all the pages like that, too, where they, they face two. each other and they have well, the translations like they and it's bilingual? The in the bottom and the smell of my news. And it's a different kind. It's not only a different language, it's a different alphabet. And look how beautiful this is. Wow. This is a special book. It's like a Bible. And Hafiz, of course, was a Sufi. Was a Sufi. And you read how 279 people were shot dead. In their mosque, it was a Sufi mosque in Egypt. Did you read about that? 279 people in a Sufi mosque? Yeah. There was a Sufi mosque. They were killed because they're Sufis. Because they were killed last week. Because they have a different take on things. They believe in dancing. They believe in love. They're like the hippies of Islam. And they're doing just that. And a bomb was thrown in. And as they ran out, there were guys with machine guns waiting and just... Kept on shooting. I think it's past 300 now. And it's because they said it's because they're Sufis. And Hafiz, and they say they're, they're, they said they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're evil because they believe in saints. They don't supposed to go directly to Allah, and they, but they don't. They believe in teachers. And among their teachers were, were Rumi, who I read uh, from time to time. I used to read a lot of here. And Hafiz, who came about 50 years later. These are the Rumi teachers, and what they thought were these were the, were the, were the, were the um, like in Iran, this is a Persian Iran, like where they're buried, 
is a spot where they come and dance and pray. Here's a here's a stop. Uh, here's a sample of of uh, Hafiz. He's about fifty years after the Rumi, writing in Persian. When I'm opening up at random, there's a, a poem on every page, and it's so beautiful. One night, our hand we raise, and a prayer we speak for the agony of thy separation. A poultice we seek, O friends, the sick heart for the heart from the body, to flee for help. For help, I cry. I cry to it. The physician, we may take. And a little remedy we may try. The roots of joy are withered. The tavern is where? So our soul and body we may gladden there. Someone grieved without reason, and thee, stabbed with a sword, did and did depart. For God's sakes, make him return, so that he may be may bring purity back to our heart. In the path of love, our idol temple becomes our chest. An arrow of a sigh, we lose, and we are bereft of rest. O heart, seek aid from the heart of the profligatant. Be wary of the difficult way, lest the fault be your mate. Little does the shade of the impatient flower search for the auspicious shade of the lover. From the veil, when my heart, where is Hafiz? Sweet of voice, that is, in his songs and mel melody, we may rejoice. Now that takes us from level to level. That's something to symbol and says, what, 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 what's he going through? I'd like to know. Now I end with this. I said, what's this? Well, I've never heard of this. The name of the word book is Behind the Powerful Forevers. Subtitle, Life, Death, and hope in a Mubay Undercity. <laughs> and I see it won the National Book Award. I hadn't heard of it. Ten Becks Books, National Book Review, and I looked at it by Catherine Boo. This is a book which is nonfiction. She goes nonfiction, but it seems like fiction. The characters are too real to be nonfiction. So she goes to, in Mumbai, which used to be Bombay, she finds this. Uh, and she describes, she kind of stays out of it. She does stay out of it. A group of a couple hundred huts. And these are people who are totally involved in the garbage, in the recycling that comes out of the airport. The airport is there. There's these fancy four-star hotels that are there. And they get it, and they live off of it, and how they live, and how they struggle, the corruption involved, who's who, and the building is just too amazing to be true. But it seems true. And this book I, I suggest so much. And this is the book I'm reading now. It's called, if you want to take a look uh, on, uh, uh, if you want to Google, uh, her name is Catherine Boo, Bo, 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 B-O-O, Catherine Bo. Maybe you can take a look. You're trying to do that? Well, we only have about 10 more minutes of the okay, show. Okay, well, take a look at Catherine Bo. I'll just read a little. Catherine Boo, yeah. And Boo, B-O-O, Catherine. And uh, you see, she's married to an Indian, so, he could, and so I looked at her speaking, and then I saw who she's mentioned to. She's a guy with an Indian name. He, he turns out to be an amazing, an Indian historian, above being a historian, sociologist, kind of a master of things. I went to him, and I saw him speak. 
and uh, coming out of out of uh, out of Google, and that was amazing. His name, you'll see that. What's so funny? And uh, I'm gonna read a little bit. Uh, Janet Maislin from New York Times. Have you know this book? Have you seen this? Um, no, I have not it's totally seen unknown it, to me. and um, it's unknown to me too. I'm really and, uh, glad to hear Janet about Maslin, something new. Janet Maslin, I know, an explicitly accomplished first book. Bo is one of those rare, deep-digging journalists who can make two surpassed fiction: a documentarian with a sur- suburb sense of human drama. Comparison to Dixon is not Dickens. Dickens, Dickens is not unwarranted. I want to read this. Oh, I want to. I know where I go. I want to read a book. I want to go to the end. She has a. I'll read a little bit of about five minutes from this, and if you can find uh, uh, her explanation of the writing of this, and if you can find something uh, on. Uh, it could be a two feet continued. What? Maybe, maybe that could be a to be continued. Maybe we could continue that. Uh, we'll find that for next week. Okay. Can I read a paragraph? Or do you mean oh continue? yeah. Okay. Good time for a paragraph. To be continued. This is something which I, which is rough now, but which I'm going to try to uh, make more perfect and have a book day, book hour, half hour, ten minutes, a quarter, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Here she is, Catherine Bow, B-O-O. And uh, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs to get an idea of how she writes. This is her author's note. Ten years ago, I fell in love with an Indian man and gained a country. He urged me not to take it at face value. When I met my husband, I'd been reporting for years from within poor communities in the United States, considering what it takes to get out of poverty in one of the richest countries in the world. When I came to India, an increasingly affluent and powerful nation that one a powerful nation that still housed one third of one third of the poverty, one quarter of the hunger on the on the planet, parallel questions persisted. I quickly grew impatient with poignant and snapshots of Indian squalor, the the ribby children with flies in their eyes, and other emblems of emblems of object, uh, abjectness that one can't help to see within five minutes of walking into a slum. For me, and I could argue for the parents of most impoverished children in any country, the most important line of inquiry is something that it takes long, longer to discern. What is the infrastructure of opportunity in this, uh, in this society? What capabilities are given, uh, given wing by the market and the government's economic and social policy? I want to say that she finds these characters. Bring uh, the Abbers, a 16-year-old, uh, and, and his family around him, a 16-year-old recycler. This is how these people live. They live in the uh, right in the midst of junk, but beside a besides a uh, beside a, a pond, a kind of a lake of a lake of garbage, of garbage water, polluted water, shook. But they make the best of it. These are the documented events recounted recounted in this book. Devo Kevin, one of Majo's uh, former students, was an especially, especially my. Well, I'm going to write a few more words. But this is how this was put together. And the book is a wonder. It's called Behind the Beautiful Forevers Life, Death, Death, and Hope in a Muay Undercity. 
And I definitely recommend it. It's put out by who? It's put out by Nature Press. And, and it's put out by Nature Press where you can find it. If you, by Random House, the Nature Press. By amazing read. What capabilities are squandered? By what means might that ribby child grow up to be less poor? And another set of questions nagged about profound and just juxtaposed inequality, the signature fact of so many modern cities, the scholars who map levels of disparity between wealthy and impoverished citizens consider New York and Washington almost as, as unequal as Nairobi and Santagio. Some people consider this juxtaposition of wealth and power, poverty a moral problem. What fascinates me is why there's, there's not more of a practical one. After all, there are more poor people than rich people in the world's Mumbai's. That's uh, why don't uh, places like Airport and Airport Row, with their cheek by jowl slums and luxury hotels, look like the insurrectionist video game Metal Slug Three? Why don't more of our of our unequal societies implode? But and but this is about that just gives you an over kind of view. It goes on, but she writes so well that she brings you into their life, brings you into their hopes, brings you into the corruption of the society. This is an amazing book, people. Behind the barrel for the beautiful forever. It's a great time. That's Catherine Bow. And so I'm going to turn you turn it back to you. Yeah, we've got the library lady who has a quick announcement to make. Oh, yeah, we were mentioning the friends of the library. Thank you, Dave. Um, I love hearing what other people are reading. So, and it's I think it's amazing you found all those. Um, so the friends of the library is, they are lately known for running a program called Tuesdays at North Beach, where a celebrated and often internationally acclaimed poet will come and be featured, and then local talent will be there as well. That's Tuesdays at North Beach. I'm giving a little plug for that. It's all the way down at the other end of town, North Beach Branch Library, every Tuesday, 630. Who's doing that, you know? The Friends of the Library. I the Friends of the Library, but somebody, I mean, it's exactly what I did first in the, in the basement of the library, in the auditorium, and then to Hayden Iceberry. Friends of the Library was my sponsor. Yeah. Um, like I know that um, huh. often Jack Hirschman is there. I don't know if he's there every Tuesday, sure. but um, for more information, people can call the Friends at 415-522-8602. That's Tuesdays at North Beach. So this month, something happened, and we now have, we're, it's brand new. The first one was yesterday. We have something called Thursdays in the Mission. And this program has been organized also through Friends of the Library. Um, I feel like we're going to have a different curator every month. Right now, it's just once a month. The next one will be Thursday, January 11th. It's called Thursdays in la Mission. It's a monthly series celebrating um, the Latino cultural heritage of the mission, but of the city and of the Bay Area. 
And as everybody knows, Latino is not one country. It's many countries, many heritages, everything from um, Puerto Rico to Southern California to Brazil. Um, yesterday, our feature was avacha in the spirit of everything that that word can embody. And um, she gave an amazing presentation of her musically inspired I would call them talk stories musically inspired poems every poem had a wonderful beat you just couldn't help but picture people dancing as she was reading and then um and then we also had a new poet from the neighborhood uh, Genesis Montalvo. The next one, as I mentioned, Thursday, January 11th at 5 p.m. at Mission Branch Library. Um, probably to get more information about how the mechanics of the program, call the friends. And um, But beyond that, you can just come to Mission Branch Library. We're open every day or call us 415-355-2800. And then one more plug. Uh, just a quick Wait, one. Yeah. Um, oh, well, um, that will be another Thursday in the mission event, but I don't know who the host TBA. is, and I don't know who. That's right. Oh, TBA, to be announced, but it will take place at 5 o'clock Thursday, January 11th. And um, right now, the book club is reading. I think it's a good winter read. It's... Um, People have heard of the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. It's like, I think they're going to be made into a TV series, probably in England. But she writes about post-war Europe, the rebuilding, focusing on Naples, and then to go smaller, focusing on female friendships in Naples. 1950s and beyond a very inspiring writer we're going to talk about her next tuesday at mission thank you val what what's her name elena ferrante f-e-r-r-a-n-t-e she's best known for her works called the neapolitan novels and there are now four in the series um that is her pen name but i heard about her from um from somebody at a small bookstore somewhere in the Bay Area. And um, and then I found out everybody has heard of her. It's kind of amazing. At one point, I couldn't even get a copy. I had to put it all on reserve. So we're <laughs> going to talk about book one next Tuesday at Mission Branch Library, if people are in the mood. It's at 6.30. And like at I said, even if you can't come, it's just a good winter read. And um, I already know a few people who have read all four. I am very inspired by that. And um, anyway, I'm glad we're going to be having uh, regular poetry in the mission. And um, people know about all the other poetry events. I do have one little teeny tiny piece of Barry history to go out with. Thank you, Nicole Savage, for um, putting some historical notes on your sfheart.com, a great place to go for um, information about the city, about music, and poetry. San Francisco's Heart, being held up by Nicole Savage. Well, I know Nicole, I 
Hey, Val, we, we, we got to keep going. Oh, okay. so quick it? historical note. On December 7th, 1964, Mario Savio, leader of the Berkeley Free Speech Movement, even though he's already, he announced it. I'm not the leader. But there he was getting arrested at UC Berkeley as he made a presentation to 18,000 students followed by a strike of 27,000 students supporting the, the rapidly growing free speech movement. It, every minute it grew bigger and better and inspired all of us. And now here we are. Thank you, Maria Savio. Thank you for that as well. And here we are on the Common Thread. We're wrapping up in a few minutes. We've got one more performance. We've got James Ellis out there and Bloodflower with his mandolin. So uh, thanks, fellas. You gotta, yeah, take us away. Thank you, Global Val. Thank you, Diamond Dave. It's Mr. Bloodflower on the mandolin. We are forever looking at the content of attention. What do you want to call it? Perception. These are just cheap words. And the word is not the thing it describes. We are forever looking at the content of presence. And we look not at that which is present. Shall we look at it? Presence. Tasteless, colorless, odorless. So it is subtle. Presence. It cannot be fractured, cut up. Thus, it has integrity. What else? You can't sell five pounds of it. It has no market. So it cannot be bought. Everyone has one, so no one goes without. Thus, it is abundant. Presence. It's all we know as knowing. Thus, it is omniscient. It's always there, so it is omnipresent. Question. Is something that is all-knowing and always present also omnipotent? wonderful way to wrap up today's edition of the Common Thread Collective. We are here at mutinyradio.fm and at Mutiny Radio, which is at 2781 21st Street, right at the corner of 21st in Florida in the Mission District. And we're happy when you come down and join us. We're here pretty much every Friday, not the Friday after Christmas, but you know what I mean, pretty much every single Friday and we're happy to be here doing what we do Um, make sure that you tune in uh, to Women's Magazine today I was talking about net neutrality the FCC is scheduled to vote to end net neutrality December 14th they are overseen by Congress so you can call your Congress members you can call the FCC and tell them not to do it because I don't think anybody's calling up to say yeah I want less access to the internet for more money which is what would happen if net neutrality ends. So um, tune into that or uh, check it out for yourself. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Common Thread Collective and Mutiny Radio. And we love you here. And we want to thank our sponsors, too, Organic Valley Family of Farms, uh, who are amazing people. And they don't just support us, but they also support relief, disaster relief efforts across the country. Um, and also Dr. Bronner's is one of our is our new sponsor of ours as well. So we want to, we want to really thank everybody who believes in the Common Thread, um, who supports us in any way that that they can and um you know keep keeps this party going so rock on everybody lots of love great show today thank you diamond dave thanks y'all and we will see you back here next week um i'm going to be interviewing um a young saudi woman from on women's magazine next week who spent three years trying to convince her father to let her come to the u.s and she's had quite the journey ever since so uh that's next friday the 15th and we'll have so many more things happening on the common thread as we do What's going to happen? I don't know. Tune in and find out. I'm just going to show up. Peace, y'all. This is Rastaria. Sickness, I sit.
Catch me and cheesy It's something that we know